Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Good morning. How are we doing? So we're continuing our Vineyard Values series. Um, how are we going with this? Is this okay? Yeah? Anyone doing any research of their own? Anyone been on, on the web and found anything interesting about the vineyard? Good? Bad, Angela? Good. Oh, good. Okay, that's a good one. Okay. Chris did say, if you do Google vineyard, you'll find good stuff, middle stuff, and bad stuff. And you will, actually. You will. If you Google anybody, if you Google me, probably you'll find that same stuff. Um, but um, I do encourage you on this journey to be thinking and praying and speaking to God and, and sort of... Like I say, visit the vineyard site and just get a feel for where God is taking us. Last week, well, so far we've done what is the vineyard, and last week we did what is worship, looked at worship as a priority uh, within the vineyard movement. I encourage you to listen to those talks. If you haven't, you can always catch them on the web, on our website, or by podcast. Today we're looking at this whole thing of the kingdom, and this was fundamental uh, in the understanding that the early vineyard had around well, it was the framework for everything they did. They had this expectancy that God would break in and do things. And it's this understanding of the kingdom which really influences the way uh, the vineyard ministers, the way it, uh, it sets itself up and functions. I want to start by looking in Mark 1. Uh, these words uh, that Jesus spoke uh, in Mark 1, 14 to 15. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. From the time Jesus shows up, he begins to talk about the kingdom, proclaim the reality of the kingdom of God. And he went about using stories, metaphors, parables, healings, deliverances. All these were demonstrations for him of the kingdom, the kingdom come. And it's a demonstration of God's kingdom breaking in to this kingdom, the, the present world. And to understand this phrase, kingdom of God, we have to understand what kingdom means. Now, when most of you think of kingdom, what do you think of? Castles, Castles, crowns, jousting, royalty, knights, you name it. That's the image we get of kingdom when we think of the word kingdom. And a kingdom essentially is a place where a regent, a king, rules over an area or a people. That's what a kingdom is. There's a regent, a king, or a queen, and they rule over an area, a geographical area. And that's what most of us think when we think about the words kingdom. So when Jesus said the kingdom of God has come near, what did he mean by that phrase? How does that affect us? Well, the kingdom Jesus spoke about, it wasn't that sort of kingdom. It wasn't a kingdom that had geography associated with it. It wasn't a place or a land. So he wasn't talking about a king has come to rule over a specific country or an area. He was talking about the dynamic rule and reign of God. So when Jesus talked about the kingdom, he talked about God's rule and reign breaking in to a people or a situation or a place. And that's really fundamental to understanding what kingdom means. Now, for his audience, the ancient Jews, they had an understanding of the kingdom. Their theology, uh, they anticipated a, an anointed one would come and set them free. So they were, they'd been under oppression throughout their history at different times. And they always looked forward to a time when this anointed one would come and set up the kingdom of God and deliver them from their oppressors and proclaim peace, shalom. Everyone would have their own vine, their own fig tree. There'd be abundance and plenty and peace. And God, this anointed one, would rule 
over them. And that was their expectation. That's the thing they look forward to. That's the thing they've been taught all through their lives. They were waiting in expectation for the anointed one to come. If ever you've done a traditional Jewish Passover meal, that expectation is still there. They're still waiting for the anointed one to come. They don't recognize Jesus as being that person. They still wait and proclaim and look forward to and anticipate the Messiah, the anointed one to come. And when this anointed one turned up, he would reign with justice, he would reign with mercy, he would reign with love. He would put the whole world straight. He would put everything that was wrong right. And that was their expectation that this, this king, this Messiah would come. So into this framework, this expectation, comes this young carpenter's son, Jesus. And he comes into this expectation. And uh, one day he chooses to go to the synagogue and he chooses to read from a passage, a passage in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 61. And this is one of the revered texts of the time that everyone was familiar with. And it spoke of the king to come. And so Jesus spoke from this scroll. You can see this in, in Luke 4, if you've got your Bible with you this morning, or your phone, Luke 4, 16 to 20. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. <coughs> And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What was he saying by saying that? He was saying, I'm the king to come. I'm the anointed one. I'm the Messiah. The carpenter's son from Galilee. I'm the one. I'm the anointed one. Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. It was incredible. It was revolutionary. It, was, it, was, it turned the whole religious establishment upside down. It says later on in that passage, they got up, drove him out of the town, took him to the top of a cliff, and were going to throw him off and kill him because of this, this proclamation, the audacity of who he said he was. But Jesus went on to demonstrate the kingdom everywhere he went with his healings and his words and his acts and his miracles. He went on to demonstrate he was the anointed one that Isaiah spoke about. He was the king to come, the Messiah. His death on the cross... He became the suffering servant talked about in Isaiah 53. This was prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus' birth. Isaiah said, Surely he took upon him our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed by our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So by going to the cross, by being crucified for our sin and our wrongdoing, he fulfilled the words of Isaiah. And then ultimately by his resurrection, he demonstrated his power over death. And the fact that he was who he said he was. He was the true king of this kingdom to come. 
So one of the most challenging questions we face as followers of Jesus, as Christians, is if Jesus was who he said he was, why is stuff so, still so bad? Why is the world still in such a mess? Why is there so much war and destruction and poverty and pain and suffering? If we've been given this gospel message of, of, of salvation, if we have the power of the Holy Spirit, if Jesus is king to come, why is stuff still so bad? Why is the church still so poor? Why don't we see the things that God talks about? And this is one of the most challenging questions we face as Christians today. If Jesus is king, and he has all the power, and he's given us his Holy Spirit, why isn't everything great in the world today? Well, we have to understand this passage that we first started with. Mark 1. The kingdom of God has come near. What did Jesus mean by that phrase, the kingdom of God has come near? Well, I'm going to use a posh theological phrase this morning. It's called inaugurated eschatology. You can throw that around at parties. <laughs> what do you think about inaugurated eschatology? Well, it's, a posh, it's two posh words meaning a very simple thing. What does inaugurate mean? It means kind of to start, doesn't it? To launch, to begin. So something is begun. What does eschatology have to do with? Anyone know? End times. So it's all to do with the end of the end, the end times. So what Jesus did, he, he began the end. Okay? He launched the end of things. He launched the last times, the end times. So when Jesus said, the kingdom has come near, he basically said, things are beginning to be wrapped up. Things are beginning to be drawn to a close. The king is coming. He is coming. If you listen closely, you can hear his hooves. He's coming. He's drawing close. And I'm launching, I'm inaugurating the reality of that. So when I go around and I say the kingdom is near and I pray and someone is healed or someone is delivered or someone who is oppressed is set free, then I'm inaug- the kingdom is being inaugurated, is being launched, is being started. And so wherever we see Jesus breaking in, we see signs of kingdom come coming into the present. We see love, we see restoration, we see forgiveness, we see peace, we see healing. We see this coming in the life of Jesus. And so when Jesus walked about the earth, we experienced the presence of God's future. Jesus was like uh, the presence of God's future was incarnate in who he was. And wherever he went, he brought the reality of the future with him. The kingdom was coming right there, right then. So whenever he cast out a demon, wherever he healed the sick, wherever he spoke words of life or healing or restoration or inclusion, he was demonstrating the future kingdom to come. And every act that he did was crushing and driving back the kingdom of Satan. He came to overthrow the works of the enemy, to destroy the works of the enemy. So every kingdom advance was pushing the devil's work back. When Jesus spoke about the kingdom, he seemed to describe it in two particular ways. He said, it's here and it's not here. It's now and it's not yet. You think, this is really confusing, Jesus. Why couldn't it just be normal? But this is the reality of the kingdom. It's, it's, it's now, but it's not yet. It's not fully here. It's like we're in the, in the skirmish between the ages. We're still on the battlefield fighting a defeated enemy who is in retreat but we're still in the skirmish of the battle. And one day our champion will arrive, and one day he will completely vanquish our enemy. Now, I always find a bit of Lord of the Rings is helpful at this point. (laughs) So I crank the sound up. 
That's quite enough of that. Come on. Now, I don't know what imagery you have in your head about the king's return, but obviously Tolkien, he drew great inspiration from scripture. If you look at Revelation 19, I saw heaven standing open and before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. The armies of heaven are following him on his robe and on his thigh and has his name written King of King and Lord of Lords. So one day Jesus will return fully. And we have the imagery of a white horse, we have the imagery of of armies of heaven. But one day, Jesus will return fully and the battle will be done. It will be done. It will be finished. The enemy is in defeat. He's routed. And one day, that conquest will be completed. But right now, guys, we're in that skirmish. We're in that battlefield. We're in that place where the enemy is in defeat, but he's still making trouble. And sometimes it seems like the enemy is winning and we're being pushed back. And sometimes it feels like we're winning and the enemy is being pushed back. And there's this pull-pull Pull, so push-pull of, of, of spiritual warfare that's taking place in our lives and the lives of people around us. So we live in these last days. We live in these last days. But our champion is coming. The king is coming. He's come once and he will come again in fullness with the armies of heaven. And every time you hear a story of renewal or revival or refreshing or kingdom breakthrough or healing... That's the kingdom breaking in, breaking in, breaking in, pushing back and overturning the work of the enemy. It's new ground being taken. It's the kingdom advancing. When Jesus died on the cross, he said the temple veil was torn from top to bottom. Do you remember that? And that was a symbol. That was a symbol of the kingdom advancing and entering this world. No longer was a separation between us and God, but equally no longer was a separation between this age and the future age. There's a theologian called Derek Morphew, and he describes the, the veil that separates this world and the next world as being like tissue thin, paper thin. That's all it is in reality. Sometimes it seems like the kingdom is a long, long way away, and God is a far, far off God. But actually, the reality is we're separated from the future by the thinnest and thinnest of things. The Celts used to talk about thin spaces where you could go and encounter that sense of God's presence. And when Paul talks in the epistle, he says, the days are short. It feels like they always are when kingdom's here. It feels like God could turn up at any moment and the whole thing get wrapped up tomorrow. Because that's what it feels like when kingdom comes close. It's called eschatological tension or prophetic foreshortening. These great words, aren't they? <laughs> and what it means is when God's around, it feels like it all could come, come, come together any moment. Because that's the kingdom, the fullness of the kingdom is here, it's present in part, and we feel that. And sometimes when we worship, it feels like we're being caught up into the kingdom of heaven. And it feels like we're joining with the angels. And sometimes when we worship, we can't even get our boots off the floor because we're in the push-pull of the kingdom, the now and the not yet. Is that what people's experience of following Jesus is like? Yeah? Sometimes it feels like God is so close, and sometimes it feels like God is so far away. And that's the reality of the nature of the kingdom. But the reality is, guys, that the power and presence of the kingdom, the future kingdom, are always available now. That's the reality of what Jesus did. By inaugurating the kingdom, it meant that he pierced that veil and he brought the kingdom into the present. 
So whenever we say, Jesus, would you come be with us? Whenever we say, Holy Spirit, come. Whenever we invite him into the situation, we're inviting the fullness of the future right into the present. And he can break in at any time. So we're this already and not yet people. We live in between these two worlds. Paul said, I'm, I'm an alien in this place because I'm not, I no longer feel comfortable here, but I'm not yet being taken home. We live in between these two worlds. We're sojourners is the posh word. Great, all these words this morning. <laughs> we're travelling through. We're travelling through to our future destination. And as the kingdom is breaking in, then God is advancing and he's dealing with stuff. He's setting stuff right. But we're still in the midst of that skirmish. We're still in the battle. We still have pain. We still have suffering. We still have disappointment. One day Jesus will come back and he will consummate the kingdom. He will bring it to completion. In the meantime, our, our job is to be agents of the kingdom. We are to go around and proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom. That's our job. We're to say to people, Jesus has come and he will come again. And he's putting everything right. Let me pray for you. Let me, let me say kingdom come. Let me invite God's future fullness into your situation now. Let me pray for a kingdom breakthrough. So when we offer to pray for someone who's sick or someone who's dying or a situation, we're inviting that kingdom fullness into that situation. And because the vineyard has a theology of the kingdom, it means it influences everything they do. It means that they expect God to come and break in. It means they can pray for the sick. It means they can pray for the oppressed. We can rejoice when it happens and we can grieve when it doesn't because they are now and not yet people, as we all are of kingdom people. And what I love about kingdom theology, it prevents you being pulled to the poles because in the past, the church has adopted one of two stances. It said, well, God doesn't do that anymore. You know, I've tried praying for someone to be healed and it didn't, nothing happened, so God doesn't do that anymore. So we don't do that. God doesn't do that stuff anymore. Or the church goes this way and says, God always heals, always heals. So when I pray for you and nothing happened, well, you've got a problem. God doesn't love you or you've got secret sin in your life. That's the reason why, because by his wounds, we are healed. So when I pray for you and you're not healed then you've got to sort your life out because the problem is your end. And the church gets pulled to the, this pole or to that pole. But when you have a theology of the kingdom and you pray and sometimes heals, God heals and sometimes he doesn't heal, then you can make sense of it by your theology because you know you're a not yet people. You know you're a now people and a not yet people. Does that make sense? And so it helps give a framework for how we minister, how we love, how we, how we help people. Because we know every time we pray for someone, every faith-filled act, every desire that we have for kingdom to break in, when we pray for someone or step into their life and support them, we know we're depositing love into their life. We're depositing kingdom love into their life. And if they don't get healed, they do get healed. We want them to leave them more loved and more supported and more cared for than when we started. And it also means that we can say to people, yes, we'll pray for you, but go and get some medical help. You know, we believe God is in all things. You know, God's in medicine. God can break in and heal you supernaturally. God can heal you through your doctor. We can hold those tensions together as well. There's going to be a day in the future, guys, and the Bible tells us everything will be made new. Revelation 21.5. Every tear will be wiped away. And as kingdom people, we live in that expectation of that day, don't we? That when the fullness of the kingdom will come. So we pray, just as Jesus taught us to, let your kingdom come and your will be done. Let the fullness of the future come into the present. 
we pray and we usher in the champion, we usher in the armies of heaven, we usher in that kingdom fullness into the present. Because that puts a whole new meaning on that prayer, doesn't it? That's the first prayer I learned in school. I thought, what does that mean? Your kingdom come, your will be done. It had no context for me. But when I understand the kingdom, when I understand how Jesus began the kingdom and will consummate the kingdom, then when I pray that prayer, it takes on a new meaning. It's not abstract. I'm basically saying, God, will your fullness come in soon, please? We need all that you have to come into this world and set things straight. So how do we become kingdom people? How does that affect us as we go about our daily lives? Well, John Wimber had this to say about the kingdom. He said, kingdom is translated in the New Testament. It's from a Greek word called basilia. And that implies an exercise of a kingly rule or reign rather than simply a geographic realm. The kingdom of God is the dynamic rule and reign of God. When Jesus said the kingdom had come in him, he claimed for himself the position of a divine invader, coming to set everything straight. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. 1 John 3.8 So Jesus saw himself as this divine invader, destroying the works of the enemy. And he took a hand group of ragtag men. He said, right, you're now going to be my kingdom apprentices. I'm going to train you up and I'm going to send you out. And he trains up the 12 and the 72. And he sends these guys out and says, go out and proclaim the kingdom. Heal the sick. Demonstrate the kingdom. Be word workers. Go and do it. And they go out and they, the kingdom begins to extend. And the miracles begin to happen. And that apprenticeship, guys, has never stopped from that day to this. So when you gave your yes to Jesus, when you said, Jesus, I want to follow you, he says, right, you're now a kingdom apprentice. A kingdom apprentice. You get to play. You get to do the stuff. You get to have a go. You get to extend the kingdom. Excited? Yeah. <laughs> kind of a muted excitement. Chris, next week, will talk more about doing the stuff, the whole thing about that we all get to play, we all get invited into this, this, this ministry of the kingdom. But when you give your yes to Jesus, you're commissioned, you're a kingdom apprentice. He says, right, I'm going to use you to help usher in the kingdom. You're going to be my, my helpers, my agents. You're going to bring the fullness of the kingdom into the present. And so you're empowered and filled by his Holy Spirit to take that truth onto the streets, into the marketplace, into your homes, into your workplaces, your kingdom apprentices. And so what that does, it turns the church from an audience into an army. Yeah? Because you get to go and do the stuff. You get to go and basically tell people about Jesus. You get to get to pray for them and demonstrate kingdom come in their lives. And because you have an understanding of the kingdom, you've got an expectation that just maybe when you pray, God might do something. So you're not praying a prayer as a platitude or just so, you know, to make someone feel better because you've prayed. You're praying and saying, God, let your kingdom come and break into this situation and put right something that needs putting right. John Wimber's favourite phrase was, the meat is on the street. What did he mean by that? Is there a butcher crashed his car outside? No. <laughs> what he meant by, if we want to grow up as followers of Jesus, if we want to graduate from... Uh, milk, as Paul described it in, in the scriptures, you know, if we, if we want to be no longer infants, just suckling, if we want to be weaned and go on to meatier things, then the place to find that meat is on the street. Basically, what he was saying was, take what you've learnt in here and take it out there and begin to pray and, and speak with expectation that God is going to turn up. Because kingdom understanding means that you are kingdom agents. You take that kingdom presence with you wherever you go. And so if you want the stories, 
if we want the miracles, we want to change lives, then it happens more out there than it does in here. Oh, I know, it's sad, isn't it? Because in here is safe, and in here is warm, and in here is cosy, and no one looks at you funny, if you do. But, <laughs> but actually, where did Jesus minister? Outside. Outside. In the marketplace, in the streets, by wells, in towns, in walking between one town to another. That's where he ministered. He spent very little time in the synagogues or the religious places. He was out with the people, demonstrating the kingdom. And you get to be word workers. You get to be not only people who know the word, but you have an expectation that word has power in it. It has power to change and bring transformation. Whenever Jesus went around, he always said he looked for what the Father was doing. He said, in fact, I can only do what the Father's doing, so I'm going to go around and I'm going to look out, Father, what are you doing here? And how can I join in? That's essentially what Jesus did. Yeah? That's what he did in his humanity. He went about and said, where's the Father working? Well, we get to do exactly the same. Every day, as kingdom people, we get to wake up and say, Father, what are you doing today? And how can I join in? And that understanding completely changes the way that we approach our lives. Yes, you've got jobs. Yes, you've got duties. Yes, you've got things you've got to do. You've got your task list, all things you've got to sort out. But every morning, you get to wake up and say, Father, what are you doing today? And how can I join in? How can I be a kingdom person? One of Mike Pilavachi's favourite talks at the moment is the talk about the water being turned into wine. And what he's been preaching on for the past four or five years is the Father saying to him, do what I tell you to do. So if you, if you might preach you know, recently, you'll hear him tell this story. Do what I tell you to do. And in what he says from that, he says, the only people who really got to see the miracle of the water turned into wine were the servants. Because when they went, when, um, when they said, they went to Jesus' mother and said, well, he said, you know, do, turn the, you know, take the water and fill the jars and da-da-da. Mary said, do what he tells you to do. So they took the water jars, and somewhere between filling the water jars and taking them to the master of ceremonies, they got turned into wine. And it says the servants knew what had happened. No one else did. Everyone else thought the wine had been kept back. So if you do what he tells you to do, then you get to see some extraordinary things. So when you're out about this week and you're doing your job or doing whatever you do, and the Holy Spirit whispers in your ear, why don't you pray for that person? Why don't you mention Jesus to that person? Why don't you offer to support that person? Why don't you give someone to that homeless person? When he whispers that in your ear, if you do what he tells you to do, then you will see miracles. You will see kingdom breakthrough. You will see kingdom come. Because God has chosen to use you as a kingdom agent. He's looked around and he hasn't got anybody else. He's tried to find someone better than you, but he can't. And so he's got to use you. <laughs> all your failings and, and, and flaws and vulnerabilities and divided hearts, we're all the same, aren't we? But Jesus uses us. It's like you've got very little kids and they want to help you when you're painting and decorating. The last thing you want is a kid with a paintbrush, one of this big. <laughs> or when you're in the garden or trying to wash the car, they want to get involved, they want to help you. And by getting them to help you, it makes everything take twice as long. And normally I'm to fix everything they've broken as they try to help you. And I'm sure the father's like, they think, oh, great, I've got these guys to work with. Okay, right, okay. Well, we're going to do this today, and I'm going to invite you to come along with me. Like little children, we get to get involved in the father's work. And we pray, and we do stuff, and we mess up, and we don't always do it right. It doesn't always happen as we should, it should happen. But the father loves to have us working with him. And so that little prayer, Father, what are you doing? And how can I, how can I join in? What are you doing in my workplace? What are you doing in my street? 
What are you doing in Sainsbury's? What are you doing? How can I, how can I join in? And that's a great prayer to pray as we think about becoming kingdom people. So I'm just going to summarise, guys. The mystery of the kingdom, it's arriving in two stages. The scripture's very clear about this. In the first stage, the kingdom is described as hidden. It's subversive. It's like yeast. It's like a pearl that has to be found. It's like treasure hidden in a field. It's this subversive, hidden thing that has to be discovered, has to be found out. The second stage of the kingdom, it's overt, it's manifest. No one's going to miss it. The heavens are going to light up like lightning. There's going to be armies of heaven arriving. That's the second stage, the consummation of the kingdom. Every knee will bow, because that's what Scripture says. Everyone will get to suddenly be aware of Jesus returning. In this first stage that we live in, God doesn't displace every other will that's in play. He doesn't bring his will to bear completely. In the first stage that we live in, God's will is done, but Satan's will is also done. Yeah? There's there's these two warring factions taking place. We live between the ages. And so is the will of sinful human beings. That's still happening around us. We see that all the time. In the second stage, when Christ returns, when the fullness of God comes, then everything will be put straight. But right now, we live in this in-between time. We live between the ages. And God's will doesn't always win the day. We know that we have to look around and see it in the lives of our friends and the lives of the people we see in the news. It seems at this moment in time that God's will can somehow be resisted. But ultimately, God's will cannot be ignored. God will return in fullness. Jesus will be our champion and he will put everything straight. We know the kingdom is coming. And so this is the mystery, guys, that we live in. The kingdom is here, but it's not yet fully here. The kingdom is coming and the kingdom is still yet to come. And this is where we live. We live in this tension between these two times. It's like the world's running on parallel tracks. It's like the world's running on one track and there's God's track and these two tracks run alongside you. That one day, the world will be monorail. <laughs> it will be Jesus that we run upon. And that will be the consummation of the kingdom. In chapter 11 of Hebrews, it says this. It says, it talks about the heroes of faith. It says, they, they shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the fury of the flames. They escaped the edge of the sword. They received back their dead to life. And in the same chapter, it says, others were tortured faced jeers and flogging, were chained, put in prison, and were put to death. So in that chapter, you see the tension of the kingdom. We see this victory and the enemy making as much trouble as he, as he can. But we live in expectation of the kingdom. When Jesus sent out the 72 in Luke 10, he said, the kingdom of God has come near you. Go out and basically demonstrate that good news, proclaim it. And when the disciples came back, they were overjoyed. And they said, even the demons submit to us. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. And that's our mandate. That's our kingdom authority. That we're kingdom come people. That we've been given authority to push back and overturn the works of the enemy. And we get to experience that joy of kingdom participation when we go and listen to what he does and watch what he does and obey him and respond to him and take a little step of faith, a little risk. It's not always going to turn out well. Sometimes you'll feel like an absolute fool, I guarantee it. But if you never step out and try it, you'll never experience the joy of seeing kingdom breakthrough. Remember you say faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Faith is spelled risk. 
So you only get to see kingdom demonstration when you take that little step out and then God comes in like a flood and backs you up. And so guys, we're sent out. We're sent out as kingdom people. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.